Good morning. Let us listen to God's word as is spoken to Paul in the first letter he wrote to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to so to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all of my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, come, be with us. Open our hearts and our ears for what the Lord our God is speaking to us in this day. May your love be present. May your truth be present. And it's in your precious Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. In the past two weeks, we have looked at what love is, which Paul speaks about in his first letter to the church in Corinth. This love is patient, it is kind. But today, we will look at what this love is not, what it cannot be. In this first letter, he describes agape with seven positive Greek verbs and nine negative Greek verbs. So for us to understand this love, he gives us more information about what it is not. Love is not jealous. It is not boastful, nor proud, nor self-seeking. It is not rude. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. This love does not delight in evil, and this love never fails. As we've been talking about, this chapter is often read in weddings and can sound like, at the altar, a list of do's and do, and do nots, or don'ts. For those of us who don't like being told what to do or what not to do, hearing this verse at the beginning of building a life with another person seems like a big ask. And possibly it seems it might limit how we love this other person. Others of us might see it as an impossible test that we will most likely fail at. We may put off even attempting to understand this love, much less live it in our everyday lives. Others could be rule followers, list makers, lovers of instruction, and this scripture excites them in the moment. Yes, this is perfect. 
This is the recipe for love. Add this, don't add that. Okay, I've got this. I just need to follow these rules. What all of these inner dialogues that are happening at the altar have in common, I think is exactly the point that Paul was trying to make. You see, the church in Corinth was coming together, building a new life. But they were struggling with the ability to share. They were boasting in their own personal spiritual gifts. They were seeking recognition for themselves, and they were competing for position in this new church. When we turn inward and seek our own interests first and foremost, we reveal a part of our fallen nature, which I believe is truly at the root of our behavior. It's the fear of not having enough. This fear is at the root of these, nupt these nuptial trepidations. Don't give me rules. Don't set me up for failure. Don't make this about what I have to do or what I shouldn't. Fear was also at the root of the early church problems. I want to keep what is mine. I will share with the Hebrew widows, but I don't want to share with the Greek widows. I will sell a field to donate to the cause, but I will keep back a portion in case this doesn't work out. All of these postures come from a fear of not having enough or not being enough. We become jealous, boastful, proud, self-seeking, rude, easily angered. We keep records of others' offenses and give, doubt, give in to doubt manifested as fear because we are not sure that we are good enough. We are driven to convince the world and ourselves otherwise. You see, our modern worldview is colored and captivated by fear. It fills our TVs and our radios and our news feeds. We look at our track to success, and then we see others who may be competing for the same contracts or the same positions or the same scholarships, and we compare and we slander. We outmaneuver, we work late, and we buy lots and lots of insurance to make sure that we can achieve what we need in order to secure our provision and our future as if we have control over it. Our need to be in control and in charge results from the fear and it can become all-consuming. Pushing out room for others whom we cannot control isolates ourselves in the process. Contemplative theologian Richard Rohr concludes that when we indulge in our private self, our individual self, we do that because we realize that we are the only person that we can control. We beat ourselves up and we lift ourselves up. We have positive mantras that we tell ourselves every morning and we have negative mantras that sometimes we listen to when we go to bed at night. But we were not created for this individually focused life. The agape worldview, the love that we find in 1 Corinthians 13, sees only how God can be glorified and how we can live for others. It is the opposite of inward facing and desiring to control. It is outward and upward facing and it is letting go.
Agape love is worked out in relationship. God gives us life, and we in turn give that life back to others. When we pour out this love God sourced, love onto others, it is honoring him who gave it. Love is constantly returning to itself. This agape love, what it is, is Christ. Through Christ, we understand agape, this self-giving, self-emptying love. God is ultimately giving himself in the gift of love. We have the opportunity to be this channel of passing on his love to others. This is what Christ did when he walked on earth as fully man and fully God. Love is Christ. Love is Christ sweating drops of blood as he waits crucifixion, praying not for his own will be done, but that of the Father. Keep company with Christ and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not measured, but it was extravagant, explains Paul in Ephesians 5.2. Mary reflected this as she poured the anointing oil on Jesus' feet to the astonishment of Judas Iscariot, who was focused on what was lost in that oil, and he did not see God's abundance and provision. Jesus didn't love others in order to get something back from them, but in order to give them everything. May we learn to love like that. Take a moment today. Take a moment every day next week. Draw nearer to Christ. Clear your mind of your schedule, your agenda, your worries and your desires, and give space for Christ to fill. Then take his posture of self-giving, self-emptying love when you return to the daily grind. How would the posture of self-emptying, kind, patient, faithful, hopeful, steadfast, never-ending love affect the daily to-do list? Would your priorities become shifted? Would some worries subside? Would the hunger in your stomach take second place to the hunger in your soul to pour out God's generous love onto others so that they may have the same fountain to draw from? The love worldview involves letting go of what we can do and what we can control. The love worldview is freedom, it is surrender, and it is being open to being filled only to be poured out again, and to recognize the springs that rise up to fill you again and again. But this love isn't just sitting and thinking about being Christ. This love, it's at least 16 verbs. They're action words. In this passage that we are studying, this meditation on love is right smack dab in the middle of Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts. This isn't random, nor is it an editor's choice. It has a beautiful purpose. Love is the way that we are to practice our spiritual gifts. It is the fuel and the reason we can heal, proclaim, administrate, be hospitable, and speak life into others' lives. 
These gifts were also not meant to be confined within the walls of, these, of our churches, but they were meant to be lived out in the everyday lives of followers of Christ. The Kilday family, who this past Wednesday evening shared their experience of living in Cambodia on an international justice mission year of service, are a perfect example of how love does not insist on its own way, and it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Their family allowed love to be the fuel in their gifts, in this case, through the practice of law. They allowed love to take over their agenda and their to-do list, and people are spiritually and physically free because they allowed love to take control. But it wasn't easy. Agape isn't easy. It will challenge our habits, our norms, we might even be uncomfortable. And after a few hours of trying, we might even give up and give in to the fear. But even in those moments, we will never be abandoned or alone. William P. Young, the author of The Shack, found himself sitting on a log next to a stranger at a kind of Christian summer camp for Christian thought leaders. A woman was staring off in the distance next to him. She was Jenny Allen, the founder of the IF Gathering, a women's conference that we will be hosting here at Covenant in a couple of weeks. She was in a crisis of fear. She feared she was not enough for Jesus. She shares in her book, Nothing to Prove, the advice Mr. Young gave her on that log. God couldn't care less about successes, failures, visions, and disappointments. He will just use all of it. Whatever means possible just to get to you and to be with you. This is a familiar place for those of us who work and volunteer in any sort of ministry to be scared that we're not enough for Jesus to use, that we're not enough to be a vessel for agape love. Just because Jesus is in your job description doesn't mean you're immune to fear. Please know, as I bring these words to you this morning, I need to hear them just as well. We were never created to be enough on our own. And our fear informs us of this. We were created to be in a relationship with love itself. Love never fails. And this love that never fails is always pursuing us, desiring to indwell within us. This love is who we invite to the altar at that wedding. The love is Christ. It is in such beautiful perfection that the illustration of the relationship between Christ and the church is a wedding. The church and a marriage are built on agape, not a fleeting feeling of eros romantic love, not on the mutual love of shared history found in phileos, but on the love that is active, that is beyond feeling, history, and the flakiness of like or dislike. This love that is the foundation of marriage and the church is fueled, sustained, and created by God. A wedding could come about because of eros and phileos, but a marriage is maintained and sustained by agape. The church in Corinth 
was a gathering of people who had the shared bond of being followers of Christ. But for the church not to fall apart, the people who built and made up the church would have to learn that it is just not about their own needs. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. It is to die to self, to let go of the fear that the world gives us as fuel. The false power of boasting or putting another down so that we can perceive ourselves as raised up. To follow Christ and to take the posture of humility, kindness, and patience is to gain the divine. It is to be filled up with the love that molded creation, healed the sick, defined wisdom, parted the seas, raised the dead, and forgave the unforgivable. The second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians came to me immediately when I was trying to comprehend what agape love cannot be. If you have gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with one another. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Push yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourself the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of status no matter what. Not at all. When that time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he took on the status of a slave and became human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. The love of Christ cannot be jealous, boastful, proud, self-seeking, rude, and easily angered. It cannot keep records of wrong, nor delight in evil, and it can never fail. The love of Christ, the love of the Lord our God became flesh, and he poured himself out in the cruel and painful death on the cross to conquer death, that ultimate fear, and that very love wants us to experience resurrection, transfiguration, both on this earth and for eternity. What would our lives look like if we shut out our fear of not being enough and found our identity and our freedom as the beloved of God? What would our relationships, our marriages, our work days, and our home look like if we let go of fear and let that space be free for God's love to pour in and overflow, spilling on to the lives that God has placed in front of us. Let us be free, brothers and sisters, for there's no fear in love. Amen. <laughs>